0: Good morning. I trust you're all well. If we haven't met before, my name's Tom and I'm one of the pastors or elders here. And uh, we're going to be continuing our series in the Bible book of 1 Peter today. So if you have a Bible with you, uh, you might like to turn there because we're going to dive right in. Let me say myself a big congratulations to Mary and Nikki on your baptism today. And it'll be wonderful just those that know these folks or those that just want to bless these folks, just to pray for them afterwards, after the service. If you've got a bit of time, do not rush away. We'd love to pray for you guys. We have been, over these last few weeks, uh, working through uh, the book of First Peter, which is in the New Testament, second part of the Bible, where the Apostle Peter is writing to a group of churches in what is now Turkey, And These are churches that he has a relationship with, that he's in family with, and he's writing to encourage them. And Today, as we get towards the end of chapter 2, we're going to be looking at what his uh, counsel is, what his teaching is to the church there, particularly around work. Although there will be some other things uh, as well that we'll cover. Now, if you are retired here or if you're not in work for whatever reason, I don't want you to switch off today because you will be walking with those who are in work and bringing encouragement and counsel to those who are in work, and so you need to hear this. But there are other things, as I say, that we'll be covering uh, in the short space of time that we have. So here we go. We're going to be in 1 Peter uh, 2. We're going to read verses 11 to 25. Now, you're going to hear the word slavery in this passage, and I'm going to unpack this later on, but I want you to understand this for a moment. You might suddenly start thinking about the transatlantic slave trade, from uh, the centuries uh, gone by, Uh, you need to get that out of your mind because it's not remotely similar to that. But we will unpack that a little bit later on. So here we go. Verse 11, this is what Peter says. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits us. Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor or to the supreme as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. For it is God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people. But do not use your freedom as a cover up for evil. Live as God's slaves. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God. Honor the Emperor. Slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you are called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin For you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. So Peter begins this particular passage that we've read today reminding the churches, reminding the believers that they are foreigners and exiles. This is a key theme of this book. We've unpacked it in recent weeks. He wants them to understand that this is not their true home. That the world in which we live is not our forever home. And we're not to live as if it is. We're actually to live as if this is a temporary home. That we're just traveling through. That we're on a journey to the land that God has promised us. Just like the Israelites as they had um, been freed from Egypt on the way to the promised land. We are also to journey together onwards to our forever home. He's reminding them as does the writer to the Hebrews, that this world is not our permanent home, and we are looking forward to a home that is yet to come. That's what we read in Hebrews 13. And as a relatively small group of Christians in these cities in Asia, they are feeling under pressure in many ways, because the values that they're living by are very different to the values of the empire in which they live, very different to the Roman Empire, they lived in a society where they didn't feel like they fitted. And friends, that should really be the way that we feel. As we look around and as we see different things going on in our society, really should this thought should come to our mind, this doesn't feel like home. There's some things in which we feel out of place. They lived in a society where there were hundreds of gods worshipped, hundreds of deities that were revered, and where the values were very different to the teachings of Jesus. There were very different thoughts and ideas around the sanctity of human life in their culture. Whereas I said last week, instead of going to watch the, the local football team play on a Saturday afternoon, they would go to the local theatre and watch slaves beat each other to death for entertainment. That was the kind of deal for them in the Roman Empire. There were very different ideas about sexuality and about who could kind of impose themselves on who. There were very, very different ideas about marriage and there was different worldviews entirely about what was ultimately wrong with the world and what the ultimate solution was to it. And so they looked around their society and they didn't feel like they fitted in. Now, because there were so many different gods worshipped and so many different cultures that had kind of been brought into the Roman Empire, the Roman authorities, in order to try and bring about some cohesion, or bring about some kind of peace, they, they kind of said this, look, you can worship whatever god you want, you can live like, different lifestyles and different ways of worship if you want to. As long as you pay homage to the Roman gods, you're okay. And we kind of have a similar message in today's culture where there are many, many different ideas, many different worldviews, many different ways of seeing the world, understanding what's wrong with it and what the solutions are, many different beliefs. And the kind of messaging today is one of tolerance, which kind of says, well, you can believe what you like as long as you don't claim that what you believe is the truth, and as long as you adhere to these thoughts about sexuality and gender, generally, that have been around for about 40 years. As long as you agree with these, we're going to leave you alone. That's kind of the message of tolerance that we have. Tolerant to a degree. If you get along, if you get on board with these things, we'll leave you alone and we'll live and let live. That kind of is the feeling in our nation, which is pluralistic in a similar way. There's lots said about my truth and your truth. And the thing is, it doesn't make much sense because there cannot be uh, two things that are diametrically opposed to each other that can both be true. It just can't be, can it? It can't be that Jesus could say that I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That cannot be true, as well as, well, everything really leads to God in the end anyway. That can't both be true. So this whole notion of my truth, your truth, doesn't really make much sense. There's, there's choices facing us as believers. And there was choices facing the believers that Peter was writing to. Two choices, maybe three choices. The first choice was to retreat. To retreat from the world. To maybe kind of go and live in the middle of nowhere. Set up a commune. Uh, you know, work the land. Share with one another. Try and kind of bury heads in the sand and forget that there's an outside world. And try and live by the values of Jesus. That was option number one, is to retreat. Option number two is to assimilate. To kind of just try and just go along with the values of the culture. And to kind of get your head down, not try, just try not to stand out. Try and be like everyone else. That is, I guess, option number two. Just to kind of go along with it. Honor the gods of the Roman Empire. Pay homage to them. And try and live life as peacefully as possible. I guess that was option number two. Although Peter seems to outline for them option number three. There is another way. He knew and he remembered the words of his master, Jesus, who in Matthew chapter five said this, let your light shine so that men might see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven. This is how Peter kind of words it himself. He says, live such good lives among those who don't believe. Not retreating into the middle of nowhere and getting your heads down. Not trying to be like everyone else, but live such good lives among those who don't believe so that even though they may accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. You see this third way that Peter lays out here? Living the life that Jesus calls us to, one in which we don't gratify the desires of our kind of sinful flesh. Because even though many of us here know Jesus, there are still things within us that kind of want to go along with the things we used to go along with. There's still a fleshly kind of way within us that we're at war with that kind of wants to go along with the things that this world goes after. And Peter's saying there is another way here. We're to be known for a different way. We're to be seen for having a different lifestyle. We're to not hide away in the middle of nowhere and retreat, nor are we to just try and go along with the culture, but actually to live a different kind of life, a life in which we are known for what we are for, not just what we're against. Known for what it is that we are for, for doing good, as Peter would put it, for doing good, as Jesus would put it, that we would love radically, that we would be those that shine because we're not going along with the things that we once went along with, and in so doing, people might come to know and worship God. That's the strategy that Peter lays out for them, and this requires a daily turning away from some things, a daily turning away from the the, uh, as Peter puts it, the sinful desires which wage war against our soul. A turning away from those things and a turning to Jesus. I trust you for my life. I trust in your ways. I want to go your way are coming to him as we heard last week the living stone yearning for that that pure spiritual milk of the word learning yearning for truth yearning for what he has to say who who he is and what he's done this is what we need as we walk in his ways and the result of this is that many will see something radically different that many will see it and that their hearts would be prepared to hear the good news of jesus this is the strategy that Peter is laying out for them. This doesn't replace proclaiming the gospel. We still need to really clearly lay out for people what it is that Jesus has done for us. But it's as we live these lives, we actually prepare hearts, and people come to ask, what is this that's in you? What is this different thing about you? It's not an either, well, live in this way or share words thing. It's, it's a both and. It's often attributed to Francis of Assisi that he said something like, preach the gospel and where necessary, use words. I want to tell you this, he never said that. It's categorical that he never said that. He did say that our actions should back up our words for sure. He did preach that. That's the kind of teaching of the Bible. But he never said where necessary, use words. We must use words. Words are always going to be necessary in order to adequately unpack and proclaim the gospel. But a faithful life of honoring God, not saying yes to the the desires of the flesh, will cause people to look up and think, what is different about this person? They're not going along with the same things that I go along with. So Peter, he's really keen, he's really... Passionate that the people in these churches look different. They don't retreat, they don't assimilate, they look different where they are. Now, what does this look like when it comes to those in authority in our nation? Because it's true to say, isn't it, that there's quite a skepticism around authority around those who are in government and those who are in, uh, even in police forces and so on, there's quite a lot of skepticism. And there would have been in Peter's day. There's not much new under the sun. There's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. So Peter envisages the believers in these churches being good citizens who would honor the laws of the land, who would pay the taxes that they were due to pay. Again, this is in the... uh, pattern of his master Jesus who said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. He was asked, should we be paying taxes? What should we be doing with our money? He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. So he's saying, honor the authorities that are over you. Obey them. Now, there are times where we have to disobey because what we are ordered to do clearly contravenes God's will. And Peter himself found himself in such A situation, you can read about in Acts chapter 5, where he and his friend John, partners in crime, (laughs) partners in proclaiming the gospel. They get told to stop proclaiming Jesus. And what do they say? They say, who are we to obey? We're to obey God rather than men. We're going to keep proclaiming Jesus. We're not going to stop proclaiming him. So there are times where we need to say, no, no, even though the government is saying one thing, this is clearly Contravening what God says, and I'm not going to go with it. But people often see authority as quite a dirty word, often see it as something to run away from. Well what Peter makes clear here in these verses we've read is that authority is a good thing. Authority in a nation is a good thing. And when it's when it's working well, it it actually leads to peace for people and justice. Now there's never been a government in the history of mankind. Or any system of authority that's been perfect. In fact, every single one has had flaws. And yet, we see here that it's ordained by God. God has uh, permitted the authorities to have the authority that they have. He's allowed it. And the answer to, to misuse of authority is not disuse. It's not like, well, let's just have no one in charge. But it's proper use. And so Peter's saying here, obey the authorities that are over you. This is echoing the teaching of Paul, another one of the apostles, the early church uh, leaders and fathers, who in Romans 13 says exactly that. We're to honor those who are in authority, because God permits this authority. This is what Jesus seemed to, uh, to, to say as well when he's on trial before uh, Pilate, the governor, Roman governor at the time, and Pilate asks Jesus, don't you know I have the authority to release you? And Jesus said, you would have no authority over me if it were not given to you from above. So Jesus is recognizing that what <clears throat> the authority that Pilate has is, is only given to him by God. God permits earthly authorities. It's quite hard for us to get our heads around this because, as I said, there are unjust things done in every society. Under every government that's ever been, there are unjust things that happen, and yet we see clearly the teaching here is that God permits it. But because he has permitted it, we can trust him and we can obey the government unless, as I say, we're ordered to do something that contravenes God's will. But we we understand that we belong to God and not to the emperors of this world. And you have to understand, the Rome, you, you might be fed up of our government, okay? Some of you might be itching to vote them out at some point in the next couple of years. Our government, compared to the government that was in place in the Roman times, and the Emperor Nero, look amazing, okay? You have to understand that. And so Peter, in a, in a very difficult circumstance, is actually instructing the believers to honour the authorities, to honour even the Emperor. But we see that he's actually... Uh, he's, he's saying something quite subversive here as well. In verse 17, he says, fear God and honor or respect the emperor. Now, there, there was a, uh, it was a deal in, in, in the Roman society that the emperor was to be worshipped as a god. And so for Peter to say here, respect or honor the emperor, is actually reminding the believers, he's only a man. He's only a man. It's God that you're to revere. It's God that you're to worship. This God who is alone to be rightly feared. The emperor, yeah, show him respect or honor. But he's only a man. There's, some, there's even some, some versiveness here. We fear God. He's our first allegiance. Now, as a result of living this way, there may be some that look upon our lives and who might formally mock us or criticize us who as we obey, as we live a life that respects those in authority over us, their talk would be silenced. That's what Peter has in mind here again. It's again this pattern of living in such a way that others look on and think, wow, this is very different. So that leads me to ask the question, how do we speak about those in authority? I know I've moaned about the government. I know I've moaned about successive governments. I don't have a political party. Is there a way in which we can, yes, we can push for change, but also honor and respect? Is there a way in which we can thank God for authority over us, understanding that without that authority, there would be chaos? Maybe we need to ask that question. Maybe we need to go through this passage and ask God, how can I live in the light of this? Now, finally, on to the workplace. We're going to be hearing from a couple of friends in a moment, uh, but... When you first read or hear the word slave in verse 18, the reason I felt to just caveat that before I read it out was that you might, uh, you might have something conjure up in your mind of, as I say, the transatlantic slave trade, which rightly uh, is now consigned to history and was one of the most abhorrent practices that has been uh, outworked on this planet. You might have that in your mind when you read that And you might think, well, this has not got a lot to do with me because I don't own any slaves, never have, and I've never been a slave. So this has got nothing to do with me. Well, I need you to understand that this looked very, very different to what you might have in mind when you hear the word slave. This was a very, very different thing indeed because it was commonplace across the empire. In fact, by this point in history, there wasn't a single culture that hadn't practiced slavery in some way So it was commonplace, it was historically common, and it uh, it wasn't always a bleak thing. It was the case that you could buy your freedom. It was the case that you could even have people in your employment as a slave. You could train to be a doctor or an accountant as a slave. It wasn't a race-based thing, so it wasn't whole people groups being moved from one nation across the Atlantic to another to be in forced labor. It looked different. So we need to understand that. But then it begs the question, is still slavery? And Peter's got an opportunity in a letter to address slavery. So what's he going to do here? Is he going to denounce it? Is he going to say, you know, about slavery, it's wrong, guys. You shouldn't be doing it. He doesn't do it here. So what does that mean for us? Does it mean that God is okay? Does the God of the Bible permit slavery? Is he okay with it? Well, the short answer is no. The Old Testament and the New Testament unequivocally, unambiguously condemn owning other people. Unambiguously condemn uh, kidnapping people in order to make them work for you. Unambiguously. You must not abuse or exploit another person. We've just worked through the book of Exodus, uh, the first part of this year. You can go to our YouTube channel and catch up if you weren't with us. And we can see how strongly God feels about slavery, how he, how he frees His people from slavery, and how He treats Egypt, who have treated His people so badly. And as He gives His people the law, you can read about it in Exodus chapter 21. He says, "Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him shall be put to death." That's strong stuff, isn't it? So to understand. We need to understand that the way that the word slave is used here is different and that there's two types of slavery. There's the abduction type of slavery where people are taken hold of to go and endure forced labor. And there's a paying off of debt kind of slavery where someone might get into debt, might get into a tricky uh, financial situation and the way out for them was to be in the service of someone else until their debt is paid off. And maybe their whole family with them as well. The choices were simple, really. You could starve to death, or you could use the only thing you had, your strength, and be uh, working for someone in order to get uh, level, as it were, and pay off your debt, get back on your feet. Now, under such arrangements, you would be part of someone's family, work alongside them, maybe work alongside their children for a period until the debt was paid off. So, Peter's concern here, you need to understand this, isn't first and foremost, the transformation of society, okay? It isn't first and foremost that this this practice would be ended. His concern here is that in all circumstances, believers in Jesus, followers of Jesus, act in such a way that point people to Jesus, to point people to that we live for another world, that we have a completely different set of values, that we understand the world in a very, very different way. And listen, as people see that, and as hearts are changed, and as hearts come to worship Jesus, then societal transformation may happen. That's what happened in this nation in the 18th century. Revival came as Jesus was proclaimed. And as Jesus' word, as the gospel was received into hearts, hearts changed, minds changed, and the slave trade was ended. So revival came, and then societal transformation followed. The goal wasn't, we need to change society. The, the goal was, people need to know Jesus. And as more and more and more people come to know Jesus, hearts get changed and society changes. So we must pray, friends. We've got to keep praying as a church. Keep praying, God, come and revive this nation. Come and move in hearts. Come and uh, save souls. And yes, pray for transformation. But the goal is, friends, that we want to see people come to know Jesus. Peter's primary Concern was not societal change. He was expecting Jesus' return any day. Likewise, we should expect Jesus' return any day. And pray that many will come to know Jesus. And then we'll see things changing. Now, hopefully I've shown in the short space of time that I have that slavery here is different from what we might have in our minds. Now, because of this, it's reasonable to see these verses as referring to something similar to modern day employment as similar to how we are to relate to those in authority over us in the workplace or even to those who are we are in authority over so what is peter's counsel here to employees it is radically countercultural it's radically radically countercultural then and now he says this submit to your boss even if your boss is not reasonable submit to your boss even if they are harsh don't just submit to them when they're kind and considerate submit to them because they're your boss and they're over you in authority that is radically countercultural because we can definitely get on board with i will obey my boss when they are kind and considerate we can easily get on board with that right that's not a problem for us and this teaching is very hard to get our heads around What if the boss is demanding and unrealistic? What if the boss is condescending? What if the boss takes the glory for the work that you've done? And his or her superiors pat them on the back when you've been the one slaving away doing all the hard work? Few of you know what that's like. What if the boss doesn't listen to your request for more resources? It's just a no every time. What if it appears that the boss is lazy and not pulling their weight, and they're getting paid more than you. All of these things will be things that people here are dealing with or have dealt with at some point in their lives. It's entirely relevant to us. Peter's wisdom for them is this submit to them, it says in the uh in the ESV, out of respect. It says in the NIV, out of fear of God. Not, it's not submit to them and then when they're behind their back, speak badly about them. It's not submit to them but retaliate in some way through threats or through holding back in other ways. It's not submit to them begrudgingly and do the bare minimum that needs doing, but submit with respect. This is working in such a way that demonstrates that you don't belong to this world. This is working in such a way that demonstrates that you are an exile here, that this is not home. Notice this peculiar phrase, we've just read it together. This phrase, conscious of God. There's a lot packed into that, a lot packed into those three words. To live and to work conscious of God means we've been awakened from our spiritual death, we were dead in our sin. And he's woken us up. He's brought us into new life. We've seen the light. We can't avoid it now. Our life is different forever. We are living in the light of his saving work for us. We're living in the light of the living hope that we've heard about this morning. We've got an imperishable inheritance that cannot spoil or fade. We're living in the light of that. That's what it means to be conscious of God. So wherever we go, we're conscious of God. In the workplace, where it feels like everything's going against us, or if we're working from home, no one can see us, we're conscious of God. And so even if our boss isn't impressed with respectful submission, we know that we're living for God. It's God that we're conscious of. It's God that we're living for. We can endure hardship even in the workplace whilst trusting God living lives that are commendable before him. This means living living for the well done of the master, not for the well done of our earthly masters. And finally, to be conscious of God means we're conscious that God is at work, even in difficult situations. You know that God wills to be at work through you in your workplace. Do you know that? Do you know he wants to work through you? That you're not just kind of, it's not just a necessary evil, like just need to pay the bills? Do you know that he wants to work through you and work with you? He wants you to hold his hand and go through this with him. He's got things to do in you and through you as you work. But he wants you to pray and ask. Ask him for change. Ask him for help. Ask him for strength. Are you seeing it that way? Or do you think, well, Monday to Friday, that's just the necessary evil of work? Or are you seeing it as, hey, I'm, I'm, a, I'm alive to God now? Even in my workplace, He wants to work through me. We're going to invite some friends uh, to come and uh, speak to us now. So Claire is here. Ayamide, is, where's he gone? He's in here somewhere. These guys, come on up. Just come and be ready to share with us. Here they are. Come on, let's give these guys a big round of applause. In fact, can we have some microphones, please? Is that all right? Just a couple of microphones would be wonderful. This is lovely Claire. Claire is, here we go. she'll tell us a bit about herself in a moment. This is Ayamide. Uh, Claire has uh, recently joined the trustees here at Hope Church and serving in wonderful ways. She's also on the board for Hope Church FC. So anyone, yeah, come on. I knew that would get a whoop and a cheer because we have a loud American on the front row. Come on. Ayamide is part of our youth team and uh, serving wonderfully there. He's going to tell us a bit about what he does in just a moment as well. In fact, let's just start with that. Claire, why don't you tell us what you do uh, for your job?
1: Uh, Well, I bumped into Tom the other day and he said to me, Claire, are you a solicitor? And I said, well, yes. (laughs) He said, well, what are your charges? (laughs) I said, well, I charge 100 quid for four questions. (laughs) He, He said... Don't you think that's very expensive? <laughs> I said, yes. What's your fourth question? <laughs> I specialise in family law.
0: Yep, brilliant. Wonderful.
2: I mean it. Um, I, I work um, as a psychiatrist in a, an intensive care unit. Um, so um, basically we care for patients who um, other psych- wards can't care for. Um, and that's part of my job, I get to teach uh, trainees, foundation doctors and medical students.
0: Fantastic. These guys have got a lot on their plates, haven't they? It's fair to say. Um, So you know who to go to if you need something medical or if you need something legal, you know who to go to. Um, Guys, can you just tell us a little bit about what does it look like for you? We'll start with you, Claire. What does it look like to, to work with this kind of phrase in mind, conscious of God? What does it look like for you as you go about? Maybe you can think about your whole career or what you're up to even now. What does it look like to be conscious of God?
1: Well, for a start off, I feel I'm utterly dependent on God. Mm. I'm much, much older than you
0: guys. (laughs) Um,
1: I'm actually grateful to wake up, to breathe, um, to have a clear thought in my head, and I try to make that first thought about God. Mm. Um, Every day I say, please, uh, Lord, I praise you, I thank you. I need your help today Mm. as I head out to work. And um, the Lord has helped to discipline me. And, um, look, in my life, I always try to work with integrity, but I am a work in progress. Mm -hmm. So I just say that. I try. Um, I believe that my skills are a gift from God, and um, I believe that I'm here to try to have the most positive impact on my clients that I can. Mm -hmm. These people are going through heartbreaking Mm. trauma Mm. honestly they really are and if i can in some way um you know point them towards god during this time Mm. then i consider that a real blessing Mm. um and then lastly is about relationships at work Mm. um i think it's so so important in our workplace um i spend a lot of time at work i just have a little question that i ask myself Can I make a friend for Christ? Mm. Can I make a friend for Christ? I love my colleagues that I work with, and they know they can come to me, and I will share in their heavy burdens. I will always say, can I pray for you? And so far, they've never said no. That's wonderful.
0: I love that. That's really good. I mean, yes, yes.
2: Um, I think, yeah, um, it's, it's quite similar to what Claire said actually. Mm. Um, I feel like you saw my answers um, <laughs> but, um, yeah I, I, a big part of it is hope, um, which which you talked about earlier, um, Tom, and um, you know the fact that we have hope in christ and, and I try to bring that to work um, I, I really feel like um, at its heart that medicine, um, being a doctor is about offering people hope, mm. um, the hope of a you know of their body' being better. Mm. Um, in in psychiatry of their minds and and ultimately of their lives being better. Um, And and for me, that's driven by that larger hope. Uh, And what I find is it it allows me to hope even when, you know, a lot of people want to give up. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not naturally, um, by by my natural disposition, I'm not very optimistic, sort of, Mm -hmm. you know, I tend a bit more towards cynicism. Um, uh, So one of my favourite questions, which everybody who works with me gets to know is, um, what, one of my favorite statements, sorry, is we don't know, which is my way of saying, well, I don't know what God can do. Mm-hmm. Um, so the least I can do is keep trying. Mm. Um, and the, the thing I hate hearing people say is this is as far as we can go. Because I'm like, well, no, you don't know that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Actually, you don't know that. And um, and and so and, and the other thing is dignity and just sort of honoring the dignity of God in every person. The image, the fact that we're all in God's image. So which again, in, in, you know, mental health really compromises that for many people. Mm. Um, but the, at the end of the day, does it doesn't actually compromise it. It, mm. it compromises the appearance of it, but the mm. reality of it remains. Um, and so sort I've of always sort of keeping my mind on that.
0: Mm. That's so helpful, just the way in which we're... Yeah, that is really, really good. The way in which we're seeing people that we're serving, working with, these people are made in the image of God. That's just so, so wonderful. Um, Claire, can you tell us a time that maybe you needed to really know God's help in a difficult work situation? There may not be, but is there any time you've just known his help?
1: Uh, so some people here already know. Um, I was, before I became a solicitor, I worked in the health service as a director of nursing, which was an immensely challenging role, but one that I really loved. And um, I got a new boss. Mm. Got a new boss, and we did not see eye to eye. He had one idea, I had a completely different one. And I really began feeling the strain. And um, I was working long hours. And then I prayed this prayer. Lord, please help me. Please help me. Mm. That is a dangerous prayer, okay? It's a dangerous prayer. Um, Literally, the next week, I'm called into his office I have an extremely difficult conversation with him. And um, I was really left very shocked. Yeah. But I also felt that that was it. That yeah. was as much as I could do. And although I remember that we are to submit yeah. to our bosses, yeah. we ain't doormats and yeah. I don't have to have abuse. Yes. I'm yes. really clear about that. Yes. Um, so I went home and I sat with m- lovely John at the back there. And we were praying. Um, At no time did I ever feel abandoned by God. At Mm. no time, I was frightened, I was worried, unhappy, but never alone. Mm. Look, I had actually a lot of job offers, but I just felt that that wasn't the way that God wanted me to go, not Mm. at all. So we started talking about law and retraining. We pushed on some doors they opened, and I actually felt that that was the right pathway to go. And I'm pretty sure that they're... People spoke badly Mm. after I left. That's okay, Mm. because it actually didn't matter. I felt an amazing presence of God, Tom. I really, such closeness. Um, Look, I'm not standing here saying, oh, it was a piece of pie. No struggles. There were a lot of struggles. Mm. Um, But I I do love this in Proverbs, and I hope you don't mind if I feminise it. (laughs) I'm going to say... Though so a righteous woman may fall seven times, mm-hmm. she still gets up,
0: eh? Yeah, that's good. Love yeah. that. Wonderful. <laughs> and I mean, I, we've, I'd love it if you could share, is there any times in your you know, work career where you've just known, I've had to follow the example of Jesus here. There's been maybe some moments that have been difficult. I don't know. Is there anything that, you can, that comes to mind? No, none at all. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> um, um, I mean, it, that's the problem, isn't it? Is that we have to follow the example of Jesus yeah. um, because um, you kind of want to just do your own thing, and then you're like, "Oh, I'm a Christian," um, <laughs> and <laughs> um, so yeah, it, it, yeah, it does happen quite um, um, regularly. Um, and I think one of the one of the gifts I would say that we get as as Christians is. Um, I think of it as having this sort of not-star um, in terms of we know what we're aiming for and we've still, we still got to navigate our way and the Holy Spirit helps, mm-hmm. um, you know, um, but there is a clarity. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's... Because I think a lot about how I'm different from people I work with who aren't Christians who are otherwise decent people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's just that difference of our not-star is different. Mm-hmm. So sometimes they have similar values, so to mm-hmm. speak, um, but they're not aiming for the same not-star mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that shows up in all sorts of little ways. Um, uh, I think especially when it comes to thinking about things like power, for instance. Yeah. Um, so, again, because, you know, in psychiatry you get to, well, you have to section. And the, the word I work on, actually, you can't be on that word if, if you're not sectioned, mm-hmm. um, which means technically I'm sort of exerting some degree of power over everybody that mm-hmm. comes into that mm-hmm. word. Um, and I find that one of the things people often want to do is sort of act like we haven't got power, mm. um, um, sort of be like, oh, you know, we're just, you know. And, and I'm like, no, it's not helpful, actually, because it's not very honest. And I think about how Jesus in his example was quite clear about the fact that he had authority. Yeah. But also that that authority was to serve. Yeah. And, and you know, the whole idea of the greatest is the one who serves. Yeah. Um, and so I, I'm constantly thinking about how do I communicate to the people I work with mm. um, that I do have power over you. Yeah. But it's for you.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, yeah. It's not for me. One of my favorite questions to ask, especially, is, "What do you think I gain from you being on on this world?" Yeah. Um, and sort of see them sort of walk through, um, <laughs> thinking about yeah. actually. Um, and I've had people say all sorts of things. Like, I'm like, I actually don't get paid more if you're not here, and I work less if you're not. <laughs> so, <laughs> so it would be better for me if if you weren't here. Yeah but I think you should be here. And the only reason why you're here is because I think it's going to help you. Mm. Um, and, and sometimes that's help, helpful in sort of changing the tone of the conversation. Yeah. Um, and they're also very conscious of the fact that there is that power dynamic. Mm. Um, and so I think, you know, if you're not honest with it, it's, it's, it comes across as you're not being sincere. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so it's, yeah. So that's just one way yeah. it really comes to. Wonderful.
0: Wow. That's really wonderful. <clears throat> I think, guys, we, let's give both these guys, a, we could probably hear lots more from them. Let's give them both a big round of applause. Thank you so much. Going to give them to these guys? Wonderful. Fantastic. I loved what uh, Iomedia was saying just there about how Jesus, um, even though he uh, had all authority and there was, uh, you know, at any moment on the cross, he could have called out. At any moment on the cross, he could have said, Father, send the angels. Let's go. He, he laid his life down. And that's how Peter, that's how Peter ends this passage, where he, he, he brings us to Jesus. Jesus as our example, and Jesus as our substitute. I want us just to read these. We're going to finish. We're not going to have time for a song at the end, guys. But this is how, it, how he finishes. To this you were called. So to, 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 even to some difficult things in this life, you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, just imagine the son of God, eternal and equal with the father who has stepped down from glory. Just imagine him hanging on the cross and people hurling insults at him. And imagine that at any moment, he could have called down legions of fearsome angels to come and deal with those people mocking him. This is our Jesus. Even though they hurled insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, you need to understand this, and this is what we need, friends. In our work and in other situations we face, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. So it wasn't just an example. It was in our place. He bore our sins on the cross. We can get on board very easily with Jesus being our example, but we need to understand He was more than an example. He was our substitute. He was there on the cross for us. Bearing each and every moment where we have disobeyed. Bearing each and every moment where we have treated others badly. He bore it in himself on the cross. For you were like sheep going astray. But now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. On the cross, it says here, by his wounds you have been healed. Peter is harking back to Isaiah chapter 53. You can read it in your own time. We haven't got time to unpack it. But this prophecy, hundreds of years before Jesus came, of a suffering servant. One who would go to great suffering so that many, many would be made righteous, made right with God. This is the good news that we celebrate each and every week that by his wounds we've been healed. You know, we believe absolutely in physical healing for today. I prayed for someone this morning who said that they felt they've been healed. That's wonderful. But these verses are not about that. These verses are about being returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. You, you need to know that return. And so you're here this morning and you don't know the shepherd and overseer. Then you can trust in Jesus. You can trust in him who on the cross took your place, bore your sin. You can know forgiveness completely. And you can return to the shepherd and overseer of your soul. You can do that now, even as I pray. Put it in your own words to him. Should we stand together? We're going to finish this by praying. Father, we want to be those who in this life trust you who judges justly. We want to be those who in this life represent you and speak about you and not just with words, but with our actions too. We want to be those that cause others to sit up and see that we live by a different set of values, that we're living for a different world entirely, that this is not our home. Father, would you help my my brothers and sisters here in the workplace to be conscious of God, that we would trust in you in perplexing situations, that we would go about being your hands and feet in the places where we work. And Father, I pray for anyone here who doesn't know you, that even now, even in this moment, that you would reveal your love to them, that they would see you, Lord Jesus, on the cross, bearing the weight of their sins making way for them to know forgiveness and to return to the shepherd and overseer of their soul. Even now, Father, would you do it? Just whilst we're, we're quiet in this place, just right now in your own words, just come to God. Put on your breath, in your mind, just come to him. If you're not a Christian and you want to give your life to him today, do it now. If you are a Christian, ask him to help you. These are tough things that we've heard today. Ask him to help you. We need his help. Thank you, Lord, that you're with us. We pray, use us for your glory this week. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.